0: How are you all? I hope fine. What a beautiful day the Lord has given us today to worship Him. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Really, it's uh, kind of you to come. We love you and we thank God. Those of you that are visiting and and, uh, are are with us maybe for the first time, we're very uh, honored that you would come and spend this this hour with us anyways, that we might uh, gather together and kind of worship the Lord together. We're in, uh, for those of you that are visiting, we're in the book of Acts. We're in the seventh chapter, and we're kind of in a transition period in the book of Acts. It's a, a transition between Peter, who gave the first message on the day of Pentecost, that formulated the church and began the church, and we're in between him and Saul. Saul, who will later become Paul, and can't wait to take a look at him. I love him so much, and just to see the transformation in his life, will be, I think, uh, impressive, stirring, and all of those wonderful things to to uh, all of you people. It's good to see you. And it'll be just something that'll be, I think, uh, in, uh, special to all of us, just to see how Paul just becomes who he is. In the meantime, we're looking at Stephen. Now, Stephen comes upon the scene, and he's kind of uh, just... Just there, uh, you remember how and why he came, don't you? Remember, they were having a problem within the church. And some of the Hellenistic Jews said, Listen, some of our widows are not being treated uh, as kindly as we think they ought to be. And uh, so they came to the apostles, and the apostles said, if you remember, because the church now is starting to explode, there's, there must be 20, 25,000 people within that, that church that just began. And so the apostles said, listen, we don't have the time for that. Basically, our job will be to preach the Word. We need to study the Word of God, and we need to pray so that we can teach you the Word of God. Remember, they said the church was formulated on four things. They got orders from God Almighty. These are the things the church is formulated upon. It says, within the congregation, I want you to be continually devoted to these things. The teaching of the apostles, fellowship, communion, and prayer. So when they came to them and said, can you help solve this problem uh, and serve these tables, they said, no, choose from among yourselves. Remember, seven men of good reputation, seven men filled of the Spirit, uh, just uh, wise wisdom and, and grace and all of these things upon these guys. And seven of them, and, and one of the seven that bubbled up to the top was Stephen. And so we're introduced to Stephen. But then lo and behold, Stephen goes out into the community, And one of the only non-apostles that performs miracles and signs and wonders, and he is proclaiming the word of God, and that so irates those within Jerusalem that they find some false... They call him in to the council, and they start to question him. And they bring in some false witnesses that accused him of blaspheming God, blaspheming Moses, tinkering with the law and with the temple. These are four things that were just tantamount to uh, a really serious crime against anyone who was quote-unquote religious in that day. And so they put him on trial, Stephen. And Stephen is, if you'll know a, a type of our Lord. Stephen ends up dying. They stone him to death. And in this process of him dying, he looks up into the heavens and he says, I see the glory of God. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And He says this. He says to, to them, Forgive them, Lord, when they're stoning Him to death. Forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they're doing. And then He gave up His Spirit, the Bible says. And the Bible says, He then fell asleep. They don't even call it death. It's just a going to sleep and waking up. Next to Jesus Christ. it's uh, To be honest with you, I'm a little jealous of Stephen. I don't want to get stoned to death. But I sure would love to have a glimpse of what he must have seen when he woke up and saw the Lord right there before his eyes. Anyways, this is where we are in the book of Acts, in the 7th chapter. And I say these things to you because this is almost like, um, how is this... How does this chapter relate? Um, We we know very little about Stephen. um, And what we find out about him is that he can really preach. Now, after he was accused of these things, if you look at the 7th chapter and you see in the first verse, the high priest, who more than likely was Caiaphas, said to him, Are these things so? In other words, what you have been accused of, are these things so? Now, if you look back and you uh, take a look at the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter, would you do that with me for just a moment? Um, by the way, we're going to cover this whole chapter today. I told you we would, and uh, sure enough, and I'll tell you why we can cover this whole chapter. Normally, for those of you that are visiting, we, we study the Bible word upon word, line after line. In this case, the history, uh, you're turning back to, uh, to Matthew chapter 26, right? Not where I told you to turn to. Yes, um, let me just remind you, what what Stephen is doing is he's presenting to the people the history of the Jews, just in a, a, a just in a, a, a kind of a, a pocketbook kind of a, a delivery. He doesn't explain everything, because his purpose is not to explain everything. His purpose is to engrace the people he is speaking to so that they might hear what he has to say. And to any Jew, the traditions and the history of their of their heritage was, was very important. So they would, he would have their attention from the moment he started to speak about the history. And so the history is not so much what's important. What Stephen is trying to accomplish through the message that he's giving to them is what we want to look at today and it's you cannot miss it 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 sticks out like a sore thumb and we'll see it very clearly now I said to you look at Matthew chapter 26 look with me um, I'm there too look with me at uh, at verse 57 It said, those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas. There's the gentleman who was the high priest. He was the high priest during the days of Jesus Christ and on beyond his death. So Caiaphas was more than likely the man that put not only our Lord on trial and condemned him, but also the apostles and Stephen. Watch. It says Peter, in verse 58, was following Jesus at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest's. And he entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus in order that they might put him to death. And they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two did come forward. And they said, in verse 61, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? Do you you make no answer to what they're saying about you? But it says in verse 63, Jesus Christ kept silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. You tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, we've studied enough to know what he's asking. He's not asking, are you a prophet? He's not asking, are you someone special? He is asking, are you God? Are you God in human form? Have you come to this earth as the Messiah, the very Son of God? Now watch. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then, it says, the high priest tore his robe, saying he's blasphemed. You know, later on, when Jesus Christ, they asked him, Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you God? He says, yes. They want to pick up stones to stone him. He says, wait, why, are you, why do you want to stone me? What, what is your reasoning for stone me? Is it for, for what I have done? No, they said it is not for what you did this time it says you being a man have just made yourself out to be god and for that we will blaspheme and so for anyone to say jesus christ never said that he was god in human flesh they have not really studied the word of god they have not really taken a look to see who does jesus christ say he is now jesus says it is as you said you you've said it yourself they tore their robes in verse sixty five because He's blasphemed. That means he is, being a man, proclaims to be God. What further need do we have of witness? Behold, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he's deserving of death. So what did they do? They spat on his face. They beat him with their fists. And others slapped him. And then they said, prophesy to us, you Christ. In other words, Messiah. Who is the one who hit you? Now, I'd hate to be that person, wouldn't you? I mean, really. I just would hate to have that hanging over me. The rest of eternity to have made that, that type of a statement. And so we see that Caiaphas is the one who, who put Jesus Christ on trial. Now, if you turn back, please, to Acts chapter, this time, look at chapter 4 for just a second. It is in chapter 4 that we see Caiaphas again. In, in verses 6 and 7, it says, Annas, the high priest, was there and Caiaphas and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. says, when they placed them, them meaning now the apostles, when they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And so what we now see is this same person, Caiaphas, is asking the same questions now of Stephen, and we turn to chapter 7 and verse 1, and he asks, Are these things so? In other words, are these, um, are these statements about you? That you've blasphemed God. That you have blasphemed Moses. That you have spoken against the law and the temple. Are these things so? What I want you to know and realize when you study chapter 7, when we look at chapter 7, is that Stephen fully knew, fully knew that he was in difficult territory. He knew that something terrible could happen from, from this. And so, what he did was measure that, in my opinion, he measured that in his heart, and he did not compromise the Word of God. He still gave them there on that council everything that they needed to hear for salvation. And do you know why? I'll tell you why. He loved them. He loved them more than He loved His own being, His own life. Maybe they would throw Him in jail. Maybe they would beat Him. Maybe they would kill Him. And He still gave them the complete message. Didn't compromise a word. As we're going to see in a moment. Just like Peter, he accuses these gentlemen and people of that time who missed Jesus Christ. Who missed who Jesus Christ is. He accused them of what they were accusing him. He accuses them of blasphemy. He turns the table on them. And I want to, out of this wonderful chapter, chapter 7, to show you how much Stephen loved these people and how he, it, it went beyond his own security, his own safety, that he told them the truth. You see, the, there's, there is nothing more precious than you can give to another person than the truth. Then what they do with it, that's their decision. Now, let's pray. Before we do pray, um, may I say to you, if you look around, you'll see that we have um, acoustical panels. We had these ordered and they, they came. They're, they're, they're supposed to be to help the sound within the sanctuary. And I think they turned out kind of pretty. I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't decorate anything. Uh, gentlemen, for whatever it's worth, I let my wife do all of that. Figure that's a safe ground to be, you know. But uh, I just think they're really nice, and they're very practical, um, and hopefully they'll they'll help muffle the sound so that we'd be able to hear better in the sanctuary. And uh, another thing I wanted to say is, in your bulletin, you'll note um, there's a, a dear man. Uh, when we kind of started the church, and we were at the garden church, and then we moved to the theater, and then we moved up to the forum. And, and during all that time, when we were in the theater and the forum, we had to, we, we, we purchased some trucks and we had to unpack the trucks and, and load the, the theater so that we had equipment for the children and stuff for music and all of that. Uh, Jeff Alward was one of the stalwarts of, of getting all of that done. He would encourage guys to come and help him and all. Well, this past week he passed away. He went he fell asleep, and he's now with the Lord. And this, this afternoon at 3 o'clock, if you have the time, we're going to have a service for him here, just a memorial, to kind of honor um, his family and to, um, and to build a memory and to bring some closure in their lives for, uh, for their dear husband, their dear dad, their gr- dear grandfather. He just uh, was just a, uh, you know, if anyone had a gift of helps, he did it. I mean, he was there to help in every turn. And so it's kind of fitting, the first thing that we'll have here in our, our, our church is um, the first service that we'll have besides having services like these will be a memorial uh, to someone that uh, just really uh, did a lot to uh, to bring us to this place. So if you can come, wonderful. Uh, we'll, we will all meet here at, at 3 o'clock. Let's pray. Father, um, your grace is uh, goes beyond anything that we could ever dream of or imagine. Your love for us goes beyond any of that. It is our deepest prayer, Father, that uh, as you you state in the book of Psalms, the 119th chapter, that you would open up our eyes. And may I add, Father, not to add to your word, but just to say, would you open up our hearts and our minds, our thoughts. Would you open up all of us that we might behold wonderful things from your word. Father, your word is a, a promise to us. You promise that if we proclaim your word if we say the things that you've said, that you will accomplish through your word what you have set out to do in each of our lives. And I pray that, Father. I pray this day that you would accomplish within my heart, our hearts, each of our hearts, whatever it is that you desire from this particular message. And I pray then, Father, that you would move me aside, that you would hide the one that gives the message, because, Father, truly I am meaningless. What I want us to see is Your Word. I want us to focus in on who You are so that we might see Your most glorious Son in all of His glory so that we would understand exactly who He is and not let our agenda or our, our thoughts or our religious beliefs or anything that we might hold to keep us from seeing Your wonderful and glorious Son, Jesus Christ. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law, we pray, Jesus. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. So, when asked the question, are these things so, Stephen answers. Now, to take a look at chapter 7, what you're going to notice is that Stephen doesn't try to defend himself. That's not his purpose. His purpose was to proclaim to those who would listen the very truths of Jesus Christ. He goes to the history of Israel because it was the history that, that proclaimed the promises of the coming Messiah. The promises of the coming Messiah was throughout all of the Old Testament. And that is why I believe Stephen reminds them of their history. He says, no... Basically, I'm not guilty of blaspheming God. I'm not guilty of blaspheming Moses, the law, or the temple. What I want to do is present to you the promises that have been given to us, mankind. And so, as you're going to see, ultimately, his, his statement turns the table on them. Scripture is going to teach them, those that reject Jesus Christ... That they're the ones that blaspheme God. They are the ones because they have rejected the very Messiah that God sent to us. You see, Jesus Christ did not stutter when He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through Me. Stephen wanted them, by the grace of God, to hear this word within their own hearts so that they might make a decision one way or the other. Are, am I going to respond to God's call? Or will I be like my fathers, so to speak, those who went on before me? Just for just for a, a drill, I might do it again. Look at verse 52 of chapter 7. He says, Stephen, which one, Chapter chapter 7, verse 52... Listen, isn't that great? You know, I love the music of this church, but more I love when I hear the pages of your Bibles turning. You know, I want us to be like the Bereans, who examine the Scriptures daily to see if the things that we are being taught are not so. I love to hear that. So Stephen says in verse 52, "Which, Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? It's a rhetorical question. They did all of the prophets. They, 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 all the people that God sent to them to speak to them, they persecuted in one way or another. And he says, And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the Righteous One, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become just like Peter He throws the gauntlet at their side of the table and he says, You, you have missed, you have missed the Messiah. You have missed the chosen one. So, Stephen wanted to show them that Christ fulfills the Old Testament promises. He traces the line of God's sovereign will. In other words, God's promises as you'll note through chapter 7, from Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Joseph, through Moses, through David. And finally, as we just read in chapter, in, in chapter 7, verse 52, he finally brings it to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, calling Him, in verse 52, the Righteous One. Now note, Stephen begins by softening his message. Look what he says in verse 2. He says to them, hear me, brethren and fathers. Immediately, He shows them that He is part of them. He is brethren with them. And they are like fathers. They are all apart. He is basically showing them the respect that they did not give to Him. He says in the rest of verse 2, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Now, I want you to turn with me, please, to uh, Genesis chapter 12. Hold your place here and look at the first book in your Bible, Genesis chapter 12, and look at verses 1 through 4. And listen to how the God of glory appeared to Abraham. At that time, Abraham was called Abram. It wasn't until later that God gave him the name Abraham. It said, The Lord said to Abram, chapter 12, verse 1, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He says, I will make you a great nation. Talking about now the nation of Israel. This is the start of the nation of Israel. I mean, he has captured their hearts by saying this. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And, he says, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's all of us. Jews and Gentiles alike, through you, he says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Goes on to say in verse 4, Abram went forth as the Lord had spoke to him, and Lot went with him. Now it says, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It's really interesting. In relating the story of Abraham, Stephen shows them first and foremost, the first thing he notes to them is that Abraham was the very father of our faith. He is the one Who was the initiator of faith. He went went from Haran, he went from Mesopotamia with no land, being promised a land of milk and honey. He went from there with no son, being 75 years old as we just read, but being promised to have a son, and he believed God. If you turn back, if, you, if you're back in, 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 in Acts chapter 7, would you continue on to the right and find Genesis? Or no, 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 Galatians. Please forgive me. Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes of this dear man called Abraham. And he says in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, even so, even so, he says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Righteousness. What was reckoned to him as being right before God, righteousness, was his belief. Belief gave Abraham righteousness. Righteousness was given on the the shoestrings, if you would, of faith. It goes on, therefore, Paul says in verse 7 of Galatians 3, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. You see... Throughout the Bible, from Old Testament to right now, until the Lord comes back, there is one constant throughout the Bible. And it is the key that opens up the door of our entrance to be with God. And it is simply called faith. Faith is what gives you and me the ability to have eternal life. Faith is what gives you and me a thing that is called righteousness. That we would be right before God. It is our faith. It is not the good works that you do. It's not anything that you and I might do to earn favor with God. The Bible says clearly, we cannot do that. The one thing that makes us right before God, righteous in His eyes, is our faith. The interesting thing about faith is, nobody can give it to you. Nobody can make you have faith. Nobody can make you make a decision of faith. It is a decision that you and you alone can make. You can go to church for a million times for a million years and you still will not be right before God until you trust and believe in Him by faith. That's the key that opens up the door of eternity. It was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, by faith, they looked forward to there was a coming Messiah. Today, we in the New Testament look backwards and we believe that Jesus was that Messiah. We all meet at the foot of the cross. We all believe by faith. And so so Stephen makes first things clear. He says, bringing out Abraham, that Abraham is the father of faith. So what he is pointing to is that these men and ladies that are listening to him must come to a point of faith. Watch how he brings it out. Watch this marvelous chapter. Stephen's purpose is really simple to follow if you read chapter 7 carefully. From the Old Testament history that he is giving to them, and he uses the history purely as a tool to bring them in so that they would listen. He shows them that their fathers, their forefathers, had constantly rejected God's message, along with his prophet's and now what he accuses them of as we saw in verse 52 is they're doing the same thing that their fathers had done just as the prophets rejected god's message so they're doing the same thing that's his purpose stephen has three main points in chapter 7 mark it first point through israel and through the history of israel he is showing how God came to this planet, so to speak, this place called earth, and, and and through his acts and his involvement on earth, God made, allowed the world to know him. He allowed us to understand who he is. He used the prophets, he used his son to verify that he was involved in this earth. Number two and this is really key we'll show you in a moment number 2 is through explaining that that abram came to know god and believed and was reckoned righteousness because of faith he showed that that abram and all people worshiped god long before there was a temple he was trying to get them to the point to take their minds and their focus off of the temple, and to see where does God truly and really reign. Look what he says. I'll show you uh, what, he, what he means by that. Look at verse 48. And again, we're in Acts chapter 7. In verse, verse 48, he says, well, let me read with you verse 46, 7 and 8, please. Look at verse 46. David found favor in God's sight, and he asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob he wanted to make him a dwelling place but it says in verse 47 uh, jacob didn't end up david didn't end up doing it but solomon did and solomon built a house for him him meaning god however however stephen says in verse 48 the most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands as the prophet says heaven is my throne earth is the footstool of my feet and so what stephen is showing them is their their obsession with the temple is, is is should not be because god dealt with people before there was a temple it had to be that we dealt with god by faith later we're going to see in this message we're going to see that it, it is that you and i are the temple now of the holy spirit but the third point that he wanted to make them know. And this point can be delivered to all of us, anybody and everybody who would hear the word of God. But basically he was speaking to the Jewish leadership of that time. And he is saying to them, but also folks, to any of us who might reject Jesus Christ, he is saying that your rejection of Jesus Christ is just another example of your rebellion against God. God gave us his son, and for you not to recognize and believe in him is another rejection, just like your fathers did, of the prophet whom he said. In this case, it wasn't a prophet. In this case, he's saying Jesus came and you killed him. You, he says, were the murderers. Look at verses 30, 35 through 39. He says, Moses. He uses Moses as an example because they accused him of blaspheming Moses. He says, Moses, whom they, they meaning the forefathers, disowned, saying, who made you? They asked Moses, who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. He's just given them an overview of the history. This is, verse 37, the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Verse 38, This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, who was with our fathers, and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Verse 39 is my point. And our fathers, he says, those people who came before us, were unwilling to be obedient to Him. But they repudiated. That means they disowned Him. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Those are the three main points. He is saying through the history, we see God's involvement on the earth. But he says, God does not dwell in a temple. He does not dwell in a place made by mere hands. And he is saying that that don't you be like those of old who rejected the Messiah in this case not the Messiah, those of the old rejected the prophets, the patriarchs that God sent so that they might be they might know who God truly is through what he says through the people. So in, in 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 what we're gonna see is there are three sections here. One section, verses two through eight, Stephen talks of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. In verses 9 through 16, he speaks of Joseph. In verses 17 through 43, he speaks of Moses. Let me talk to you about Joseph a little bit. In Joseph, Stephen reminded them of the envy, the hate, and the jealousies that their brothers had to Joseph. Joseph was, number one, I think he was spoiled rotten. It was a lot like me. My folks spoiled me too. But he was spoiled rotten. And he has this dream. You remember the story of Joseph at all? He has this dream, and he, he says, I saw the moon and the stars bow down before me. And, and his dad asks him, Jacob says, you, Are you telling me that, that your brothers and, and, and your mom and I are going to bow down before you? And so when the brothers heard this, they didn't like him a lot. So they go off, and, and his dad sends Joseph to find out where his brothers in, are and report to him. Do you remember what happened when he found them? What they want to do to him? They wanted to kill him. Immediately, they said, there he is, there's that dreamer, let's kill him. One of the brothers said, no, 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 we can't do that. So what they did was they, they put him in a ditch, they held him there, and when a, a caravan was passing by, what they do? They sold him as a slave to this caravan that went on to Egypt. That's how much they thought of him. Now, everyone there knew that story. So Stephen talking about Joseph, they understood the envy, the hatred, and the jealousies that the brothers had towards him. And so what Stephen did was remind them of how God overruled in the life of Joseph. He brought Joseph to where he got second place in the nation. He was right there with the, with the king. He was right there, and then he goes to prison, and he he comes up, and he becomes important there in the in the in the jail. And later he comes out, and he, he tells the king, "There's going to be a phantom." I, I had this. Did I say phantom? There's going to be a, a fathom No, there's going to be a famine. Thanks. That's why you should sit there. Don't move. <laughs> Honestly, don't. Um, but he said he has this, says, there's going to be a, a famine, famine, and, and he says and we we need to start storing grain. He does. They store grain. And sure enough, there becomes a famine in the land. And people from everywhere had to come to this king to get food. Do you realize how much money this guy must have made? He had the biggest store in town. The only store. And everybody was buying food from him. Lo and behold, Jacob sends his brothers. They come and they meet Joseph. They don't recognize him. And they plead to him... Would you give us some grain? Our father and our family is dying. Joseph, it says, goes in the other room and starts to weep because he realizes it's his brothers. Sends them away. They come back a second time. They come to him a second time, and he makes himself known. Our Lord came once, didn't recognize him. When he comes back a second time, everyone's going to know who he is. No missing him a second time just kind of a, a type of our Lord. And so when when, when when Stephen gave this story of Joseph, he was saying, in essence, Joseph delivered his sinful brothers from physical death. And Jesus Christ, whom you have missed, is able to deliver all of us sinners from spiritual death. The tie-in is, 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 is amazing what Stephen is doing in just this short message that he is giving he is making a point that jesus the messiah whom they missed whom they killed and they did it for the very same reason the brothers did envy hatred jealousy he's tying all this together and i can only imagine what the spirit of god must have been doing in the hearts of those who are listening to stephen Through each example, Stephen showed Israel their repeated and habitual historical rejection of God's spokespersons and prophets. And finally, they rejected His Messiah. But before condemning them, Stephen condemning his listeners, as we're going to read in a moment, verses 51 to 53, he does an amazing thing. He talks about the temple. In verses 44 to 50, Stephen showed them, like I read to you a little while ago, that a man-made temple was not God's dwelling place. Rather, he is saying, it was simply a place to go worship Him. But He didn't live there anymore. Stephen made this point through Abraham. Watch, think. Think. He said, the glory of God appeared to Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia, said in verse 2. Stephen is implying, folks, that the religious leaders are becoming too uh, temple-obsessed, and they're missing what is happening to them right in the midst of them, right before their very eyes. He is saying, look at you better... Open up your spiritual eyes. Because by centering in on the temple, you are missing what God is doing right before your eyes through His apostles and the church that they are forming. He being a part of that church. You see, the movement of God wasn't in the temple. The movement of God was happening in the streets and the surrounding areas of Jerusalem through the apostles and the church. The believers in Jesus Christ are now God's most holy temple. If you read on in, in, in the New Testament, in First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Would you turn there quickly? Go ahead if you can get there real quick. Let me read the verse to you. If you don't want to turn there, listen. But you might want to look at it paul makes this statement about the temple and where the temple is remember stephen told them the temple is not a place where god dwells because god does not dwell in a place that was made by human hands but paul tells us where god dwells paul says do you 1 corinthians 6:19 do you not know that your body is a temple of this very holy spirit Who is in you? Whom you have from God? You're not your own anymore. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are a living temple of the very Spirit of God. You need to take a look at yourself in that manner from time to time. You need to recognize and realize that the God of this universe is dwelling within you. You Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom is in you. There, in the streets of Jerusalem and surrounding areas back in chapter 7, the gospel of Jesus Christ was being preached and confirmed and proclaimed through powerful exhibitions of, of God's power, signs and wonders. And it was working through the apostles and the church, the people within the church. Church meaning not the building, church meaning the people. He was working through them. And all of these people on this council were missing it because they were too temple-possessed. And what he said to them is, get your minds and your eyes and your hearts off of the temple and look around. See with your spiritual eyes what's happening right before your eyes. You're missing the movement of God. And so in the climax of this, his speech, in verses 51, 2, and 3, he says, you've rejected. He, he, he now brings it to them. Watch. Verses 51, 2, and 3. You men who are stiff-necked, you're uncircumcised in your heart. Your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. In other words, everything he said up to verse 51 is to bring them to verse 51, to make them think. He brought them in, he brought them into his message by talking of their history. They listened to every word and they understood what he was saying. Now he is saying, You've become stiff necked. You become, as he says here, uh, uh, uncircumcised in your heart. Your ears are, are resisting the very spirit of God. You're doing just as the ones I've just explained to you have done. Your fathers have done. Which one of the prophets, he says in verse 52, did your father not persecute? Not your father, but you know, those that came before you. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the Righteous One, whose betrayers and murderers you've become. He says, you've received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you don't keep it. Watch their response. He just told them that when someone comes and gives them the truth, they become angry, they become hate haters, and they become jealous. They want to kill them or do something mean to them. Verse 54 to 60, look. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They began gnashing their teeth at him. I don't know, that must have been, you know, real mad. But, verse 55 is all about Stephen. Being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed him with one impulse. When they drove him out of the city, they began stoning him. And The witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here we are. We meet Saul. Can't wait to talk about him. And they went on stoning. Verse 59. They went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees in verse 60, he becomes a, a type of Jesus Christ. He says to to the Lord, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. I mean, I can't imagine saying that. I can't imagine. Someone stoning me to death, I'd say, Father, would you please just make them toast, kill them. He said, don't hold this sin against them, Father. When Jesus was on the cross, Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And having said this, it says he fell asleep asleep the violent stoning of stephen just added another stone to the pile of stones another confirmation of what stephen tried to tell them from the very beginning and he became a living and yes even a dying example of the truth that was presented to them you know sometimes it's argued jesus couldn't have been the messiah or else Israel would have recognized him. I've heard that said. That's foolishness. Stephen just proves it. That's foolishness. They missed Joseph. They missed Moses. They missed everything God wanted to say to them. And their typical response was persecute the person. Don't listen to him. Don't logically try to make sense of it. Persecute him. Get him out of here so that we can continue doing what we're doing. I want to close with this parable. Look at Matthew chapter 21, please with me. Matthew chapter 21, and we will close. Jesus came to the temple. It says in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 21. He came to the temple of the chief priests and the elders. This is the same people, basically, that uh, the apostles spoke to, Peter, These are the same people that Stephen is speaking to right now. The chief priests and the elders. The the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. And he was teaching. And they asked him in verse 23, What authority are you doing these? Who gave you this authority? Well, you want to read the rest of this chapter. But I want to read with you from verse 33 to... uh, Well, let's just read. That's right. He says, let me tell you another parable, verse 33. He says, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, it doesn't take a genius to read through this and realize that that he's talking about about God, that that, that he built all of this earth and, and, and came to the people and put everything there, and then he left, just as Jesus has left. Watch. It says, verse 34, When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves, they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned a third. And so, it says in verse 36, he sent an, another group of slaves, this time larger than the first. And it says, they, the vine growers, did the same thing to them. Killed them. Persecuted. And so afterwards in verse 37 is...